Welcome to Maximal Being, a podcast devoted to ditching fad diets and using real science to get you healthy and feeling great. I'm Doc Mock, a GI and functional medicine doctor who harnesses the power of gut health to get you achieving your goals. And I'm Jackie P, a well-informed layman who challenges the experts and asks the questions that you want. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button or leave a comment. And now, on to the show. Hello, 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 Maximal Beans. It is I, Jackie P, uh, your favorite layman. Uh, We have a really fun topic today. I think it's very timely. I think it's very interesting, and we're going to get into it. But first, of course, I'm Jackie P. I'm a layman. I'm here to make sure that our guest and our co-host here uh, make sure that the terminology spoken to you is not jargon, you know? Uh, so I will pull the flag if necessary. But first, I like to bring everyone in with also, I didn't comment earlier, a fantastic haircut. Doc Mock, how are you today? Thanks. Yeah, it's it's a high and tight today. I mean, I got my last haircut in Ohio, so super stoked about that. What's going on, everybody? Doc Mock, I'm a therapeutic endoscopist practicing here in Cleveland, Ohio for the next two weeks. Um, and then I will be heading to sunny Florida. I'm also a functional medicine doctor, and I am super excited to bust out the Funyuns for this wonderful topic, and that is the healing power of CBD. Welcome, Barbara. Hi, how are you? Great. Good to be here. here. So great to have you. Paleo, keto, vegan, and carnivore. Maybe you've tried them all, but did you have success? Are you still doing that diet? Turns out there's not just one diet right for one particular person. By understanding how your body works and the relationship behind your body's workings and these diets, you can then approach the perfect plan for you. In the Perfect Human Diet course, we talk to you about your body's inner workings and the pros and cons of each plan. We discuss how our ancestors ate and have eaten and lay a framework to tailoring a plan that is perfect for you. To learn more about the Perfect Human Diet course, head to MaximalBeing.com courses to find out more. And as always, I'm Doc Mock, and I'm here to maximize your health. You cannot supplement your way to health, but there are things that we need to add to our lives that can maximize our pathway to wellness. The American diet is virtually devoid of omega-3 fatty acids, which play a major role in cardiovascular disease, gut permeability, and mental health. Personally, I take omega-3s every night and iHerb is the best place for clean, natural sources of supplements. I love the ZenWise Omega-3 Fatty Acid Supplement, which is free of fish burps and good for the environment. Head on over to MaximalBeing.com slash iHerb, that's I-H-E-R-B, and enter the code B as in boy, D as in dog, B as in boy, 5528 and receive 10% off your orders for all supplements. Maximize your supplements with iHerb. Before we get into this conversation, Barbara, I think the folks would like to know a little bit about yourself, how you got into studying THC and CBD and, you know, a little bit of your origin story. Sure. Sure. I um, have been a nurse for, in August, it turned 49 years. So um, (laughs) longer than many of you have been alive, but have always thought that plant medicine was a really valid portion of our traditional allopathic medicines. And so I've always believed that. 
and um, worked in a number of different areas. I was an emergency room nurse and ICU nurse. The one thing I never did was pediatrics. And um, I saw enough pediatrics in the ER to tell me that um, I didn't want to deal with parents who didn't take care of their children. And I think that that was the biggest issue. And so I never really pursued pediatrics. But I did do a tremendous amount of you know, adult medicine. And then I did work for a pharmaceutical company for 12 years. It went from SmithKline Beecham to SmithKline Beckham to GlaxoSmithKline while I was there. So I spent a lot of my time merging and learning the new names. But I worked in the vaccine division there. And um, it was I lectured on immunology. And so when a friend of mine who I worked with at Glaxo told me he was going to open a dispensary and that he would like me to be his educational person. That was a pretty easy transition for me because immunology is hard and very um, um, detailed. And actually, although people don't realize it, cannabis medicine is extremely scientific and, and very detailed. And so I made that transition fairly easily. Um, did a lot of writing of educational materials, uh, still feel that nursing was exactly what I was called to be um, 49 years ago. It was just maybe by luck. Um, you know, I started out with a traditional thing that every nurse starts out with. I want to help people. <laughs> and um, we, we all do that. Um, I will tell you that I am so grateful that I'm no longer a bedside nurse during these last few years. I don't think I could have coped. I know that a lot of my colleagues and my students um, don't cope. I'm now a professor of nursing. And um, so that's that's how I got there. I became intensely interested as I was doing research for the educational material um, for this man's dispensary in how scientific this was, what happens inside our body that makes it available to work and how misinformed people were. And I think that that's still the case in a lot of instances. I find that, you know, I work with patients. I'm a clinical director in a dispensary. I see patients, discuss with them um, why the plant works, what kinds of symptomology we should look at, what would be best for what. And we have a lot of choices. And it's like a puzzle piece that you put together in order to make um, decisions about uh, cannabis that will work especially well for a particular symptom. So that's sort of my transition. Um, I recently, or maybe not so recently, have been doing my didactic, didactic work and my dissertation seems like it's gone on forever and ever and ever, but I am within three months now of completely finishing. I'm in, you know, getting the final defense ready, doing my conclusions, where else should we go with studies, that sort of thing. And um, I, it will be a relief. I'm, I'm glad to be done, um, learned a lot and um, don't ever want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah that, it, um, that's incredible. And it, and it's, you know, I'm 71 years old, so it's sort of late in the game for me. Um, I've always been the, of the philosophy that if you don't use it, you'll lose it. So um, I figured I'd keep my brain active for as long as I can. If it's anything I've learned being in healthcare, age is only a number. Yes, it is. It is. And um, I couldn't I couldn't do 12 hour shifts at the bedside anymore, I don't think. But I certainly can contribute to the body of knowledge about cannabis. And I've learned that. Well, amen to that. And also, congratulations. Three months out. Oh, oh you'll hear me, yeah. Jackie. Believe me. I mean, listen, <laughs> you know where I am. You know where I am. You come find me. We're going to party. All right. Yeah. Uh, but let's 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 talk about cannabis. Let's, let's first, you know, I know, you know, you said a lot of misinformation, right? So let's start with just the real basics, right? Okay. 
you see out there, you see there's marijuana, there's hemp, there's CBD, there's THC, there's cannabinoids, right? All these different terms, right? So let's just, for the folks out there, for the lay folks out there, let's, let's, let's break it down and, and, and be basic definitions, right? So CBD versus THC, right? Like let's, um, let's start there. Okay. And I'm going to go backwards just a little step from there because it's really hemp versus marijuana first, because there's CBD in both and Ah, in in hemp, it is less than 0.03%. It is a tall slender plant that has 8 million uses. You know, I, I'm a knitter. I knit with hemp yarn, um, industrial uses, shoes, clothing, everything that you can, you can handle. And it's totally legal as long as it stays under that THC limit, right? So all plants have the CBD and then under 0.3% uh, THC. Uh, and if it's hemp, C- marijuana, and I want to use the word cannabis, and I'll tell you why, because there's a terrifically racist um, um, concept or origin of the word marijuana, and we don't want to do that. And I think it really is detrimental to understanding how beneficial the plant can be. But um, we'll do that in a minute. uh, Cannabis, the other plant or a sativa is a sort of short, thick, stocky kind of plant, has a tremendous number of buds on it, um, which is good because that's what people are using. And um, it can have a variety of cannabinoids. There are 144 cannabinoids. Now, the ones that we know about and we hear about all the time are THC and CBD, but there are other specific cannabinoids that are specific for particular symptoms. Um, and we can get into those later. But so that's that's the basics of it. Um, people misuse the word marijuana a lot. And I will just take one minute to help people understand that this was a um concept of a gentleman named Harry Ainslinger in the 1920s and 1930s. And he had previously been in charge of alcohol prohibition, but then when that was rescinded, he didn't have a job. And so he went to whomever he needed to go to and said, oh, I'll I'll be the head of the DEA. And he was the person who had a, a horrific war on drugs, a horrific misunderstanding about cannabis, and um, and also um, just a very biased, horrible opinion of um, the different races and why and that they were the problem, that they brought marijuana and it was spelled with an H then to the country. They um, particularly Mexican-Americans or Mexicans that would come in and immigrate for um, harvesting and um, felt that the only reason that people. Um, did this was to be able to um, date black men, particularly for white women. This was a huge issue that jazz players um, all had to be high all the time because they weren't really talented and they didn't know how to play music. So this man was so detrimental and so damaging to this plant that had been used for medicine for 5,000 years. It's not like it hadn't been known but he actually sort of set up this very horrific picture of what this looked like. Um, still concerns people today. Uh, I know that he is buried in, in um, uh, Altoona, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and I know that people um, 
are are not very respectful when they visit his grave. So oh boy. <laughs> he, he really so he's he's pretty well known as a villainous kind of creature. And if you look him up and look at any of his quotes, you're going to be very distressed. Um, oh. I'm going to take my watch off here so it doesn't talk to me. Um, <laughs> so that's sort of the 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 first time that cannabis really became mainstream in America. You know, he was very instrumental in the Reformatus movie. And referring to it and saying this is what people who use cannabis look like, act like, etc. Um, so the very basics of it, and a lot of this has not been discovered until the 1990s. What he did in 1937 was pass the Tax Act. And prior to this, every big pharmaceutical company you can think of used cannabis in their medicine and had it right on the labels, you know, in all of the um, pharmaceutical companies, you have little museum um, um, uh, places, and you can see the bottles that have cannabis in it because they knew it worked. And so they did. The United States also has a patent on cannabis, um, which is interesting because it lies in a schedule of drugs where it says it has no medicinal value, and it's addictive, and it actually has a lot of medicinal value, and it's not addictive. It is dependent building, but it's not addictive. So as you fast forward, um, 1937 was the Tax Act. All of the companies stopped um, putting cannabis in their medicine because it was so expensive to be taxed on it. Then you go forward a little bit more in 1942, cannabis was actually removed from the pharmacopoeia, which is all, where all of our meds sit. You know, you have a whole list of what meds are available in the United States. Um, as I began to study, I think one of the things that people do not know is that we have a system inside our body called the endocannabinoid system. We actually produce cannabinoids inside our body. So we have endocannabinoids, which we produce, and phytocannabinoids, which are grown. And I really refer to the phytocannabinoids now as being a supplement to the endocannabinoid system and their cannabinoids that they produce. You also have in this system a series of receptors. You've got CB1 receptors and CB2 receptors, essentially cover most of the body, except, and this is a really important point, you do not have any uh, cannabis receptors in your brainstem. This is where your respiratory system lies. This is where your cardiac system lies. And this is why you have never had a recorded death caused by cannabis because those main body systems, um, there, there is no crossover in where the um, receptors are. So the endocannabinoid system responds to the receptors. And I'll give you an example. If you have anxiety, and I'm using anxiety this year because the number of people that come in with anxiety has doubled, um, anxiety and inability to sleep. And I think there's a reason for that. But if you have anxiety and you hit a trigger, whatever it may be, let's use traffic because that's a biggie for people. And that um, um, trigger it comes to the brain. You have two parts. You have presynaptic um, where before it sort of reacts and postsynaptic. And what the endocannabinoid system does is listen to the receptor in that area and say, we need help. And so one of the two cannabinoids that we produce inside our body, which are anandamide and 2-AG, respond. And what they do is a, a retrograde biofeedback system. So it means it goes backwards. And when the trigger comes in, it stops it right there. And it says, not so much. Calm down. Not a big reason to be distressed. And that's how it works for anxiety kinds of um, um, issues. The um, people find it incredibly effective. 
And one of the things that I have noted, as I said, is the amount of anxiety that's going on secondary to COVID, secondary to the election, because I saw a huge spike during that period of time, secondary to the fact that this this um, is not going to go away. This virus is not going to go away. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> but yeah. you know, the fact that they're going to be here and it's going to stay and we're going to have to continue to pivot and address each variant in an appropriate way. Um, so I had patient after patient after patient, and then they also, along with that anxiety that disallows them from going to sleep. And, um, you know, they get, I coined this myself, but because I have it, what I call chaotic brain syndrome, (laughs) you lay down, it's time for bed, you lay down. Um, and then I start running through, and this is what patients tell me. They start running through what they should have done during the day. And, you know, did they get everything done? What was on their list? Blah, blah, blah. And then once you get finished with that, you start going through what you're supposed to do tomorrow. And I think people just have a great deal of difficulty turning it off and going to sleep. In those instances, rather than either having endocannabinoids respond or be supplemented with a little bit of CBD, which is a great anti-anxietal or an anxiolytic, it's called, they actually, we have a cannabinoid called CBN, um, cannabinoid. Um, cannabinoid at all. It's hard to say, all of them are hard to say, but that actually is a known sedative. And if somebody comes into me and they really can't sleep, and if they think that part of the cause is CBD uh, is um, anxiety, we'll sort of do a combination of CBD and CBN. And people sleep very well. Um, you can utilize, and these cannabinoids work differently depending on the routes of delivery. So you can have, there's any number of routes of delivery and probably I should go through those, but not right this minute, but you can have it fast acting and you can have it very long acting and protracted. So if I want somebody to go to sleep, I want it long acting. I want CBD because of the anxiety and sort of just calming effects. And then I want CBN for a sedative. And um, it works remarkably well for people. It really does. What's going on, Maximal Beings? It's Doc Mock here. Many of you are returning to the gym now but some are not going back. Regardless of what you plan, Rogue has got the right gear to fit your needs. I personally own a barbell set and love it. The black op shorts are sweat resistant and flexible for getting deep in your squats. Head on over to maximalbeing.com rogue for our referral link. Order three items and they ship for free. And as usual, it's Doc Mock and I'm here to maximize your pathway to wellness. If you're stuck at home and cannot make it to the grocery store, delivery may be the best way to stay clean and healthy. Instacart is the national leader in the direct-to-home delivery service. With numerous major chains and food from smaller stores, you can get those local veggies sent directly to your doorstep. Head on over to MaximalBean.com Instacart and maximize your nutrition today. So you said that, you know, uh, CBD was not addictive. Right. Um, and not, uh, but possibly, you know, uh, you said, uh, it, I might be misquoting. So correct me if I'm wrong, miss, uh, uh, dependent, right. You can grow. So like, you know, would someone, would you say if someone who is on this, uh, plan, right. Is it something where it's the CBD, you know, the CBDN is something that's like, okay, we're going to use this now. And then, find a way to deal with your anxiety or is it something that you can use? I mean, into perpetuity, like a vitamin. 
Um, I, you know, I think that remains to be seen, but I think the answer is probably yes. What what you what happens with cannabis is that you can get a cannabis use disorder, CUD, and that is in the DSM five um, book, which you know gives all the diagnoses and all of the codes and everything that you have to use. And cannabis use disorder can be very disheartening and very um, difficult. And one of the reasons and one of the ways that we avoid having people get into this bind, as it were, is to make sure that there is a healthcare provider that helps guide them through their choices. Now, the generally, I don't have the general population having cannabis use disorder. However, there are people my age who have been chasing THC since I went to college in 1960s. And they come into the dispensaries. And even though they're medical dispensaries, they come in and they want the highest THC product. THC is one of the very few cannabinoids that provides any euphoria and, you know, or that stoned feeling. Um, you know, some people want that and desire that. A lot of people don't or don't mind it a little bit at bedtime, but you can really alter that. And one of the other things that CBD is very good at is it mitigates the euphoric feeling. So if you did a high CBD product with a low THC, then you have a really good combination and you want the THC in there because it potentiates the other cannabinoids. And then we talked about cannabinoids, but there's also a whole nother layer in the plant called terpenes. And the terpenes are very similar to what you hear um, essential oils being called. We've got linalool, we have eucalyptine, we have pinene, myrcene, a, a ton of terpenes. And if you make all the right combinations um, for sleep with a CBN, I would always look for a myrcene which is a little bit of a sedative or a linalool. And we all know that's lavender. And we all know that lavender will calm you and really make you feel just much less anxious. So if you put those combinations together, um, give them an appropriate route of delivery. So if you, um, for instance, if we want some long-term action, I would say, Jackie, I really want you to try and take this an hour and a half or so before bedtime. And because it takes, by the time it gets all the way through the digestive system, takes about an hour to an hour and a half for most people for this to start working. And that way, an hour and a half before bedtime, by the time you go to bed, and then you've probably got six more hours um, and um, of sleep. So it's, um, it's, it's interesting. We can really avoid the cannabis use disorder if people have the right information. Some people get it. And there's also another adverse event called um, cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. Um, and I see um, your co-host here nodding his head uh, really accounts for um, hundreds and hundreds of admissions to ERs, which are unnecessary. But um, this is where somebody uses cannabis for a lot and for a long period of time, and they start having um, chronic vomiting over and over and over again. And there are other diseases that it sometimes gets mixed up with. There is cyclic <laughs> vomiting disease or syndrome. Um, but what happens is people do this. They don't realize that all they have to do is sit down on the couch, don't use any more cannabis, take some hot showers, and they probably will be okay. But they end up having all of these ER admissions. And my master's is in public health. And so um, unnecessary medical care really completely freaks me out because, you know, we, we do so much of it, which is why it's so expensive. And um, docs in the ER 
I think, and this is nothing against them because they didn't get this information in, in medical school, probably are looking at some cyclic vomiting disease, probably looking at some just hyperemesis that might be secondary to pregnancy. And, but I think it all gets sort of caught in that little catchment of um, cannabis uh, hyperemesis syndrome. So, excuse me, you have to move. My, my golden retriever is going to show you her face here. <laughs> um, so the, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. And I think that's another piece of the misinformation is that people don't know how to recognize the side effects or the adverse events. And by side effects, I mean, things that, that are totally expected. Um, you know, side effects are not generally harmful and they are expected. They've either happened in clinical trials or with, we call it anecdotal information, but we also call this uh, lived well experiences um, where you report these experiences. So those kinds of things um, are side effects and not, not something you want to have, but not really a dangerous thing. An adverse event is totally unexpected, totally unexpected. Um, and I would put cannabis, um, um, hyperemesis syndrome in an adverse event because it's also serious and people feel really bad with it. So that's yeah, sort yeah. of, you know, that's, that's some basic stuff. The endocannabinoid system is so important to know about um, developed in Israel by a gentleman named Raphael Mershulam, um, who also discovered THC. Um, Israel is light years ahead of us. Um, and um, so, you know, information that comes from Dr. Mishulam or Dr. Russo or a whole bunch of names that are very recognizable are is information that we can count on. And so that's that's how I base my research when I'm when I'm looking at articles. You know, Barb, I, I think you hit on a really important point, which was the characterization in clinical trials of adverse events or side effects. We used to call them side effects. Now the literature has moved towards adverse events. Uh -huh. And if you look at the breadth of data on cannabis, they, they report 80 to 90% adverse events in these study populations. But that can be anything from a patient reporting that they just feel tired, right? Do we know that it's pertaining to the cannabis, or are they just reporting that as a feeling that they get, you know, in their daily life? We don't know. So I think that they're largely overreported in the clinical data. I think they um, are. Yeah, for sure. I also saw, you know, in my world, diarrhea is a very commonly reported adverse event with, with cannabinoids. So I, I don't know if you have a reasoning for that. Perhaps it's due to the CBD1 receptors in the bowel, but um, it might be. Uh, there is not a lot of literature on diarrhea and cannabis. There is, however, a lot of literature on Crohn's disease, IBD, you know, um, um, bowel disease and um, IBS. And um, generally, the products that you use for those particular symptoms um, help them tremendously. Um, now, here's another instance where route of delivery is everything. And we actually use, I actually use um, suppositories for Crohn's, IBD, IBS. And the reason is, as you know, is that you always want to try and avoid first pass liver metabolism. This is everything goes through your liver to be metabolized uh, for the layperson, And it goes through and it, it begins to be metabolized. And then, you know, other things go through and are metabolized. But um, if you deliver it right at the site, a lot of it is absorbed before it gets metabolized at all. And um, so I've used a fair amount of rectal suppositories uh, for those same things without causing a lot of um, diarrhea. I don't get a lot of complaint of diarrhea 
um, in my dispensary, but maybe they just don't tell me. Um, I've not ever seen a huge amount of literature on it. And as you know, there um, has been a complaint over the years that there's not a lot of empirical data. And um, this is particularly, and I get it from physicians, and I apologize, but I do get it from physicians, that um, there's no empirical data. There are over 175,000 articles out now that are empirical data. Um, and a tremendous amount of um, good human double-blind studies, not as many as we would like, but that again comes from a complication with the government that would not allow us to have cannabis to do research with. The only cannabis that we have had up until this year is from the University of Mississippi and um, by all tales told, <laughs> inconsistent, not very good product. And so we're not sure that the research that was done with that cannabis is really valid. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard this that, oh no, there's not enough empirical data. We don't yeah. want anecdotal data. And, and, and there really is at this point. And Jackie P and I pulled, you know, a review of that data and we found those thousands and thousands of studies, you know, some of which I think you, you mentioned with our fraught with bias, because we don't know the actual dose of a lot of these commercially available mm -hmm. products. Actually, they've done studies where they've taken commercially available products and then tested them again. And they've found often that they find much lower amounts of CBD than otherwise reported and much higher amounts of fillers and so forth. Yes. And I, um, just so you know, I just got a notice from Pennsylvania for all medical marijuana patients that they are going to begin to really look at every vape pen that is produced in the state and have the manufacturers reprove that there are not additives in those and fillers in those, because that's how we got into trouble with vitamin E acetate. And now apparently there are some more, I practice in Maryland, so I don't know the products in Pennsylvania as well as I do the ones in Maryland. But, um, you know, that was a really scary time when we found vitamin E acetate in these vape pens. And I'm, I'm gonna add something, but it's very relevant. When, when we're looking at purchasing CBD, you can't go anywhere without tripping over it. It's in Wegmans, it's in GNC, it's in the corner drugstore, it's in Royal Farms, it's in it's everywhere. Um, I call that the gray market. None of those products are tested. Nobody should be using CBD from any of those places. And it's not because I want you to come in and pay more for it in a dispensary. I want you to know what's in your products. And that's the only place you're going to know because in every dispensary, you are required for any product that walks in the door must have what's called a certificate of analysis. And that certificate of analysis doesn't only tell you what's in the product, tells you what it was grown in, if there were any heavy metals in the soil, um, what kinds of fertilizers were used, how it was harvested. So it's a three-page document on every product we get. And you can really then depend with some rare exceptions, you can really depend on the products that you're getting in the dispensary. And the exceptions are, there are some websites that carry CBD that are vetted, that carry COAs on every single product they have. They can tell you what's in them. Um, the one that's most relevant that you probably know the most about is Charlotte's Web. And that's a website that was started after a mother went and begged people in Colorado to grow product that's high, good quality CBD because her daughter had a condition called Dravet syndrome. And in Dravet syndrome, and there's another disease, Lennox-Gestalt syndrome, where kids have 200 to 300 seizures a day. Mm. And once um, uh, Paige Fiji found that Charlotte 
if they use CBD with her, even poor quality CBD, her, her seizures went down quite a bit. And the unfortunate thing about these seizures is they're all convulsant seizures. There are some that are not, but convulsant seizures, you stop your oxygen flow. So um, those are the worst kinds of seizures to have. When this product was grown and made and harvested and made available to Charlotte's mother, she went from two to 300 seizures a day to two to three a week. And so nobody could tell Paige Fiji that this did not work. They they just couldn't. And so um, she actually died at 13 years old about a year ago, um, but would have died at two had her mom not been really proactive. And um, because you can only seize without oxygen for so many times before you um, lose the battle, as it were. So so your gray market, I would I never recommend buying from there. I do recommend some websites, Charlotte's Web being one of them, um, and um, especially if you want isolates. And by an isolate, I mean is I want CBD. I don't want any THC. I don't want any CBN. I don't want any CBD or, or um, I'm sorry, I don't want any CBG or CBC. None of those things. I want CBD. And if you if you get an isolate from one of these websites, I always feel very confident with them. There's the black market on the corner with the kids bringing, and I have many adults, you know, over 60 who say, my grandson brought this to me. And for the first time, my joints don't hurt. Or for the first time, you know, I don't feel um, pain all over my body or my spasms have gone away or my neuropathic pain, which is huge right now. um, Those have all stopped. But that product that your grandson brings you from the corner, it may work, but we don't know what's in it. And so that, that frightens me also. And and just as an aside, the majority of patients that are using cannabis right now are over 60 years old. It's it's you know, it's not a, a young, young kids only thing. And you shouldn't be using it before you're 25, and except in rare exceptions like Dravet syndrome. Hyperanxiety has become an exception because kids are so anxious and um, don't do well on things like Xanax or any of the other anxiolytics that are around. So it's a, I mean, it's fat, as you can tell already, I mean, there's so many facets and, and so many ways to look at it. And, um, and then there's the right way to look at it. And I'm totally convinced that to buy a product with the guidance of a healthcare provider, and I don't care if it's a nurse or a doctor or a, a pharmacist or a nurse practitioner, you have to have somebody who knows. And those people behind the counter, God love them. And I love them all. And I have a fabulous staff but they don't know what I know. And when somebody comes in and says, I have to have the highest THC, I always say to these guys, I call them the old heads that come in. And they're always saying, oh, I've been smoking for 50 years. I've smoked weed for 50 years. And I said, well, that's interesting because nobody ever called it weed at that (laughs) point. It was always grass. Um, And I said, I understand. I was there. Um, I understand, you know, that whole process. But I really feel that THC, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel that THC essentially potentiates and covers up issues that are going on because you see that, it feel that euphoria, you feel better about it. I always make it analogous to nitrous. When you get nitrous at the dentist's office, you can see them coming at you with a needle, but you don't care. <laughs> you just don't care. And I think THC does a little bit of that. It sort of covers up the immediate symptoms that you're having. It makes you feel much better but you're not doing anything for the root cause of the the symptom or the problem. Um, I also do not believe that there is any recreational use 
I believe that people use cannabis for a reason. Now, it may just be because I party better with cannabis and I have some social anxiety. It might be because I feel better with it, but you're feeling better because it's correcting something. And so um, I just don't think that recreational cannabis really even exists. (laughs) And I think that what it allows um, companies to do and corporate entities to do is tax people out the wazoo as it was and and make much more money but to the detriment of patients i think i think it does people much better to really understand why it works for them um with my old guys the, the old heads um you know they don't want to ever hear anything from me because they know it all and that's that's fine but i always say teach me one thing about cannabis that i don't know that might help my other patients and they're all about that they'll They'll, they'll talk to me a lot about that. So that's how I handle them. What's going on, Maximal Beings? Doc Mock here. If you haven't done so already, leave us a comment and hit the subscribe button. Let your friends and family know. That way we can get the word out and continue to bash the bro science.